Peggy Fox took a summer job at New Directions in 1975, fully intending to finish her dissertation at the University of Pennsylvania and return to college teaching. But she fell in love with the mission of New Directions, and since her graduate work had focused on modern American and British writers, particularly poets, she felt right at home and stayed for the next 36 years, retiring in 2011 as president and publisher. She worked closely with New Directions founder James Lachlan to publish new scholarly editions of such New Directions deceased giants as William Carlos Williams, Ezra Pound, and H.D. In addition, she edited in a wide arc from being Tennessee Williams' last editor and publishing a number of his works posthumously to introducing dissident Chinese poet Bei Dao to an American audience. Welcome to The Bibliophile. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So, you worked with James Lachlan for 20 years? Uh, yes, I, I did. I have, to, I have to qualify that in that when I came to New Directions in 1975, his right-hand man, Robert McGregor, had died the year before, and he was still recovering from that. And he was in, at that point in his life, he was in the office sporadically. Uh, he would come down in the middle of the week, usually two or three days, and then he would go back to Connecticut. And as time, and then in the 80s, he started what he called a second career of, of giving lectures in colleges and even teaching a few courses at places like Brown, where he would teach a semester, of course. So then he came, came in even less, and then by the time his wife died at the, I think it was 89, and so then after that he came in very, very rarely. So yes, I worked very closely to him, but it was always a kind of at, at, a, at a remove. One of my roles early on was to collect carbons of everybody's, the letters that anybody in the office had written that week and send them up to Jay with uh, like maybe reviews of books that had come in, uh, any notes that people had to send to him about anything or a memo that somebody had written, I would send those up to Jay and then I would get back uh, uh, an envelope, a stuffed envelope with what we call Norfolk confetti. Uh, That's where he was in Norfolk. In Norfolk, uh, Connecticut was yeah. where his home was. He had a reputation both personally and as a publisher as being very frugal, shall we say. Mm. Hey, Despite coming from a family that had what? Millions, can we say? Millions. Certainly millions. M millions. Okay. No, yes. They, they were not in the Bill Gates, you know, but they... they... Was the grandfather in the Bill Gates category? Because he, he competed with Andrew Carnegie, right? Right. I don't think quite that, but, but okay. uh, cert certainly, you know, mega, mega millions. Yeah. Uh, okay. Certainly the grandfather. And, I, and, and Jay, you, you certainly wouldn't know it from... He had a, a large rambling much added to farmhouse in Connecticut, but you wouldn't call it a mansion, I don't think. But he never got his, his hands on the, the money until quite late in life, right? That's, that's right, because, and so he built New Directions on a shoestring yeah. because he was living on uh, the interest from some capital that his father had given him as a young man up until his, or first his Aunt Lila, his beloved Aunt Lila. His surrogate, died. you think his surrogate mom? I think she, he was much closer to her than he was 
to his his biological mother, shall we say. And Aunt Lila really shaped him in many ways. And he spent as much, he uh, went to uh, uh, prep school in Connecticut to Choate, and he would spend all of his vacations with Aunt Lila in Norfolk, mm. which is in the northwestern part of the state. She really loved him too. Oh, she really loved him, yeah. and she let him know it, and and she made him feel very special, and you know, and and spurred him on, and 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 back new directions when it was first started. Hmm. He, but but his mother would help too. So he, and his, I think his mother, belatedly, decided that her son hadn't turned out so badly, and mm-hmm. she kind of tried to make it up to him a little bit. Okay, but anyway, bit of a skin flint. That's the reputation. bit of a skin flint. So he would take. Any any paper that had only one side used, uh, and he would cut them up into f- four quarters, and he had this stack of of sheets. Uh, I remember one whole y- couple of years we we they were uh, jo- John Kerry handbills when John Kerry was first running for for senator in Massachusetts, and his son was working on the Kerry, John Kerry campaign. And we we had stacks of you would see a quarter of John Kerry's face, you know, on one side, and then he would write the notes on the other side, and everything would get a you know response. He would thank somebody for writing a very good letter. He would ask for a box of New Directions envelopes. He would tell me what he wanted on you know for a wide variety of things, and so we called that Norfolk confetti, and I would pass it around, and then I'd send out a new thing, and then we so this went on for years and years and years, but that was how we communicated, and of course we you know had long phone conversations when when necessary. Did he have? I mean, just just thinking about the fact that he's a bit of a skinflint, and he didn't have a lot of money to play with 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 new directions, but he must. I think he must have had access because of the name of the family, as much as anything to start with anyway, he must have had access to all sorts of people. Oh, he had tremendous access to, I mean, he, between his personal connections and his literary connections, and this went from uh, his, one of his boyhood friends was John Heinz of the the, uh, 57 varieties and, and that was another Pittsburgh company and that uh, this is the John Heinz who was the father of the senator uh, he, he actually John Heinz is a little bit older than Jay but uh, when they became adults they really gravitated together and they went skiing together a lot and John Heinz would call and says you know I'm, I'm heading off for whatever uh, place in in Switzerland, you know, my private plane will pick you up at the Hartford Airport, you know, in <laughs> X number of hours, and off they would go. And and also, by this time, John Heinz was married to Drew Heinz, who was a great patron of the arts. In fact, she has endowed a literature prize given every year uh, by the uh, American Academy of Arts and Letters for, I guess it's the for the best second book of poetry. Uh, that somebody has written, but it's now the James Lachlan Prize, you know, in his honor. And she, so he could count on Drew to be, uh, you know, a champion of whatever he was doing. Yeah. But also he inter- he was one introduced Ravi Shankar to this country. Ravi Shankar, mm. when he first came over in the fifty-seven, fifty-six, fifty-seven, mm. uh, played at Jay. Uh, and, and who was then newly married to Anne Resor, played at their apartment. 
Those, so it's like the Beatles being able to yeah, it's, attract it's, that kind of... But uh, I'm just saying, you know, the connections go from, from business people, yeah, yeah. Anne's brother, brother-in-law, Haugi, I think his last name was, mm. was uh, Eisenhower's un- secretary of the army or undersecretary, you know, they all... One well, degree of separation. Exactly. For the, exactly. the whole, what, establishment? Yeah, the whole establishment, yes. Right, and, right. But he kept a low, pro- he kept a very low profile. I mean, yeah. still to this day, James Lachlan is the great undiscovered literary secret of American literature because his tentacles go out everywhere mm, okay. and he has influenced and touched didn't make a big deal out he of it he didn't make a big deal out yeah. of it and and people the literary people know and you know kind of bow in reverence uh, to but uh you know the 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 larger american public simply doesn't know the man existed but mm. yet he influenced what is taught in colleges in american literature he helped shape the the whole way literature moved in the 20th century. You know, when you say that, it reminds me an awful lot of what Ezra Pound did, just in the sense that he yeah. had all these tentacles out. It's exactly. incredible the number well, of people that he influenced. And, and, and Jay was his disciple in a sense. And yeah. he's the one who told the story that it was Ezra Pound who told, oh, you're never going to be a poet and go back and start a publishing company. Maybe maybe that, maybe you can manage to do that. And <laughs> be useful. Be yeah. useful. And uh, the other line was, uh, Jay supposedly reported, he says, well, what what can I do? He said, I, I, well, maybe it can assassinate Henry Seidel can be. He says, but I don't think you're smart enough to get away with it. Then Jay reported, he said, well, Pound told him to go do something. He said, maybe you could be a publisher. Maybe you're smart enough to do that. But that was Jay's fabrication. And and my husband, Ian McNiven, who wrote a biography of of Lachlan, has pretty well, I think, uh, that it's... It's more complicated, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. not exactly it's a bit of the a caricature, way. Yeah. A bit of a caricature, but but Jay liked to really downplay. I mean, that was part of his shtick, you yeah. know, that he just totally downplayed his contribution. Yeah. And it was all it was all Ezra's fault that I did this, you know. And, but uh, but yes, he learned at Ezra's sitting on the floor beside Ezra's chair that uh, you know the writing of so many letters to so many people and keeping in touch. And I forget it must have been in the in the late 40s when he started dictating and all the time that I was there he was he was dictating and he would send the tapes down to be transcribed in New York and I would I can I can do a, a JL signature better than he could <laughs> what was the signature like was it as loopy or the, that's the interesting thing is that if you look at his letters written when he was a young man he had beautiful handwriting really the palmer method it was just beautiful handwriting like that and mm-hmm. then it got more tinier and more cramped as time went by time went by and, yeah. and i think yeah. partly by the time i knew him he was taking lithium for his bipolar disorder which had been diagnosed in the early 70s and that i think had a great effect and so his after that particularly his handwriting was smaller and more more cramped. Hmm. So he sent you a lot of confetti, and you dealt with the confetti. And I dealt with the confetti. Cleaned it up and made sure it went in the right direction. Mm-hmm. 
how did you how did you well what, progress in the company? What what happened was I came to New Directions, as you read in that little bio, as just as a a summer replacement. I was trying to. That was the city that New York, the the summer that New York City went bankrupt. I had been teaching as an adjunct at Brooklyn College, and all of a sudden, New, Dire New York had no money. Everybody who didn't have either a union contract or tenure was out on their ear. So I had a friend who was working at New Directions, and I said, is there anything that, and, and she, well, you know, people were going on vacation, so they gave me a summer job saying, don't get any ideas, there aren't any jobs here. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the summer, things had eventuated, as they say. <laughs> and You'd made yourself... No, it, it, it really had nothing to do with me. Two people left very, very suddenly, and I was offered a job doing copyrights, contract, foreign rights, things about which I knew absolutely nothing. But um, you were working in literature. Which but is... I was working in literature, and this is... I think that today's education is getting rather, so narrowly focused on preparing you for a job or, you know... Uh, uh, professional training of some kind. And the good thing about being an English major is you are adaptable. Well, and, I don't know if that's all English majors, but... Well, if you can write well... Yeah, yeah, and uh, think. And think. Uh, you're generally pretty adaptable. And so I mm -hmm. said, huh, I can, you know, copyrights? I'll read the copyright manual, you know. In about six months, I was doing all of the things that the person I was replacing had done but I had half my time left over. So since I did have this academic background, Peter Glasgow, who was then the managing editor, wanted some help with Tennessee Williams. It had been started under uh, Robert McGregor, but it was really Peter who put together the first five volumes of the Theater of Tennessee Williams, the ongoing series. Now he was working on a, a book of poetry by Tennessee called, ended up being called Androgyne Mon Amour. In fact, that's what Tennessee Williams and James Laughlin bonded over was poetry. Absolutely. Crane. So anyhow, Peter wanted help with the, doing this poetry volume, so I stepped in, and then he eventually handed Tennessee over to me because he kind of had enough Tennessee, and so, <laughs> okay. and I was I was thrilled to pieces. You know, I from that point on, I became Tennessee's editor until his death. So and that was when to when. So that was about 76 or so, and uh, Tennessee died in 83. Yeah, and, and that's how Tennessee and, and they had met at a party given by Lincoln Kirstein. There was another one of those tentacles. Lincoln Kirstein had founded the New York City Ballet, or co-founded it with George Balanchine, but he was also a literary impresario, and he gave parties. What does a literary impresario mean? Uh, he puts people together, and particularly young gay writers, because he was, even though he was married... Bisexual? Well, no, Jay said to me, it was a marriage of convenience, I believe. <laughs> when I, okay. And, Diplomatic? And, yes. Yeah. And, uh, but he had gotten to know Tennessee. He said, you know, to Tennessee, I know this young publisher. He comes to my... Sometimes uh, I'll put you together. Yeah. Now that here's another example of Jay. Jay told the told the story of the meeting. He said, "So I went to this party, and there 
I saw this forlorn looking young man in a torn sh sweater, you know, sitting up against the wall in the bedroom. And I, he looked so lonesome, I went over and started talking to him. And then, as you say, they bonded over, they, they both loved Hart Crane. And the book that Thomas Keith and I just published. Yeah, it's called the, the Luck of Friendship, The Letters of Tennessee Williams and James Lachlan. Yeah. Published by Norton. That's just out, right? That's just just out in March. March of 2018, okay. Right. Yeah. One of the letters in there that we, we reference, or I, I, I guess it, I put it in my introduction because it's not between Jay and Tennessee. It's Tennessee writing to his parents a few days before this party is to take place. Saying, mm. I'm supposed to meet this publisher of, of New Directions at... You know, at this party at Lincoln's, you know, later in the week, and I do hope he likes me. And so this was a setup. I mean, you know, and I, I'm sure that that Kirsten had told to JL, you know, now there's this young poet. He's he's really he's he's a playwright. He's a playwright. He, you know, he might go someplace. Mm. Talk to him. You know, get to know. So so that it. And but Jay, total happenstance. You know, yeah. not on your yeah. life. Yeah. But that was. Um, that was their meeting, and yeah. so I started to work on the on the Tennessee uh, things during the next decade. You were primarily an editor there, and then I became I, I was half I was half time doing businessy type things with the you know copyrights contracts uh, you know writing contracts uh, mm -hmm. all that kind of thing, and in a small outfit in New Directions never had, has had more than at least in my time more than nine or ten people there. That's you kind of extraordinary, you, isn't you, it? So, I mean, the, the company has got such a, you know, grand uh, history and a reputation. It's, and it's such a, but it's such a small little yes. office. Yeah, yeah, this is true. This is, you have to understand, it's, this is strictly the editorial office. Oh, okay. Uh, New Directions books are distributed by W.W. W. Norton, and uh, they do uh, what I call the, the higher bookkeeping, i.e., they figure out the royalties and things, and you know Norton does that. They figure them out, I yeah, mean, yeah. And then they would then they would cut the checks on the New Directions account, and mm. then send them down. And then for years, I would you know, and then I would sign them. So that a lot of things that are that a normal publisher does in house aren't done there in, in the in the office. Uh, like the book design and everything is freelanced out. Yeah. The book, ja the jacket design, and the, uh, there's a production manager. So it's it's basically editorial publicity production, and uh, and there's always a, a permissions person who handles the requests to use uh, work in other ways. But yes, it is small, but everybody works extremely. Hard. They have the, to. The, yes, and the one thing I would say is that the pe and, and people t tend to come and and stay for years. I mean, half of the staff at New Direction, the current staff, has been there for a very very long time. Even though the pay is not as good as elsewhere. Well, or is it compared not? to compared to other publishers, it's it's not bad. We've done a lot, and and in my time there, to mm -hmm. really beef up uh, both pay and benefits to, 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 to really to, to, to try to make it possible for people to. So um, when, I, when I finally became the president 
uh, in 2004. What, in 2004, what was I making? What the president of a another publishing house that has had the same impact on American literature as New Directions was I making? What the, the president of that company? No way, you know. FSG, that, for example. Yeah, not on your life. But the entry level positions in New Directions were better paid than the entry level positions at FSG. We tended to be more egalitarian. Mm -hmm. uh, we did not have income inequality, on, you know, <laughs> at New Directions. We, we so were, your Ezra Pound would have approved. That. Ezra Pound would have loved us, as he as he always did. He always called it New Directions. You new know. Directions. But anyhow, when you, when you came to New Directions, you either didn't last very long, or you stayed forever. And the, if you stayed forever, you signed on to the mission. So what is the mission? The mission of New Directions was that if... Was and is? Was and is. It hasn't changed. We tried to, we tried to follow what Jay... And you have to go back to the very beginning, mm -hmm. when, when Jay was... Uh, young and idealistic? Young and idealistic. He, he always remained idealistic, but he was maybe less vocal about it. But when he was young and vocal about it, he believed in the revolution of the word, of the word, that if you could clean up and reinvigorate what was said, what people read, what literature was, if you could get through the dross and the muck and, and touch people somehow at their core, you could change the world. You could make people better. You could make everything better. We know this is probably... You know, this is a, a dream that people have in every age in a way. But if people don't have that dream in every age and stop trying to do that. Despite the fact that not that many people are reading these days. Despite, despite the fact that. that not that many people are reading. But you still, you, you still, you know, you make that, you make that attempt. And you, first of all, when he started, he was trying to get people, he was trying to give people like Pound and William Carlos Williams... Uh, j just a place to have their work published in the middle of the Depression. Uh, that wasn't so easy, so he wanted to have a place for, you know, for, for really new writing that was experimental in some way, that was trying to make a difference. He wanted a place to publish that. Then he also wanted, because he had a number of different languages and, saw, and could read in different, you know, in German, in Italian, in French, and he had, saw that there were writers in those countries, that he, people that he wanted to introduce here. So that became a part of the mission, introducing. He saw also that some of the people that he had liked when he was young weren't being published at all. I mean, had, had been published, of, and were now out of print. print. He, he, so he started a line to reintroduce The Great Gatsby, Faulkner, Light in August, E.M. Forster, Henry James. And of course, as soon as those New Directions started to get some traction, those people... Of course, the original publisher took it right back. I mean, New Directions. Would, he did all the hard work. Yeah, he did. The, he got them re, you know, reintroduced, made them viable again, and then their stars rose. Believe me, New Directions would dearly love to have the Great Gatsby still on its list. Um, How long did it have it on its list for? Seven years. That was the the the, the, was the, the length of the license for a reprint license like that was the standard in those days at least was seven years. And did you get to keep everything, or did you have to give some to the the holder? Uh, 
Oh, I mean, it was a royalty arrangement. Right. You got a percentage. Of, you produced the whole thing? You produced the book, sold it, and you, you sent a, um, the, a royalty is based on a percentage of the, what they call the list price. So if, if, if a book back then was selling, you know, it was like $2. Those were little hardbacks, so it would be 10%. You'd send, uh, you'd send 20 cents of yeah. each copy sold to the original Owner, 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 owner. Usually, it was the publishing house, and then they would split that with the author. Yeah, if they're still alive. Right, exactly. But anyhow, so that was that was a, a part of the a mission. But anyhow, it was you know this multi pronged in all these different ways trying to advance literature. He had such an incredible eye. Yeah, and and the, and the list, and if you know, and here was I coming from an academic background where I had, you know, in, in graduate school, and I had been studying Pound and Williams and, you know, other people of that ilk. And yeah, that's so exciting for you. Yeah, and, you're, and I'm saying, you know, I can have a real impact on literature instead of writing dumb academic articles about it. <laughs> and then, then at somewhere into there I said, I'm not going back, you know, no way am I going back to, yeah. to, to, to teaching, even, you know, so, that, so I stayed. But anyhow, I always said that Jay worked on the principle of seduction. I know he has somewhat of a reputation as a womanizer, and I don't mean seduction in any Me Too kind of sense. I mean, he was able to seduce people to sign on to this vision that he had, this mission. Mm, kind of evangelist. Yeah. And, for and, literature, or good, yeah, and so good if, literature. If, if you were seduced, and I was, you, then, you, then you just said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm staying. How did you continue this, not a mission, but it was your responsibility to find great work. Well, so how uh, did you do that? Okay, that was not, this was, that was never a responsibility that I undertook. Okay. As I said in the little bio, I became the deceased giant specialist. Okay, okay. And so I was, with, with my academic background, I was the one who was... As the president, though, didn't you have kind of a say in... Oh, oh, when I, when I became president, yeah, when asking... I started running the company, yes. by that time we had, had found a wonderful young woman named Barbara Epler, who's now the president and publisher, and she proved to have an uncanny knack for finding wonderful people. So let's look at that, because... That's what I want to get at with Lachlan and with, what's her name again? Barbara Epler. Okay, so uncanny. What is it that she's got that other people don't have? Well, I mean, first of all, she's you know, got great literary taste. And, and this is part of, which is part of JL's gift too, contacts. Someone says Networks. to you, I know, I know about this author you really should read. You know, but I know about this, and a friend of hers is a German journalist who knew that they were publishing this fascinating guy in Germany, W.G. Zebald. Did you do Austerlitz then? We did not do Austerlitz. This is the New Direction story. We did Zebald's first three in this country. We made a three-book deal, and then when he started to hit really big, that's Ran the story of your life. Random House offered him $500,000 for his next three books. You did a lot of the work. And, and Barbara found him. We, we published him. And I remember walking 
with Max, he was called Max, with Max, he was in this country to uh, a book event at the, I guess, the Barnes and Noble at Union Square, I guess it was, and Susan Sontag was introducing him. And, and I said, well, Max, you know, we're really, really sorry that you're not going to be published by New Directions anymore. And he put his arm around me and he looks at me and he says, Oh, Peggy, I will always be a New Directions author. <laughs> Broke my heart. <laughs> but he was the sweetest man. But he wanted to retire from, he was teaching in England, mm -hmm. and he wanted to retire and be able to write yeah. full time. And you can't know, blame him. You can't blame him, and there's no way we could come up with $500,000 for his next three books. So wait a minute. Is, and, the, is that was that like a just a bonus, uh, and then he still got ten percent? Well, that was that was an, that was an advance. No, against I know. Royalties. But was, it, was it against the royalties? Yes, it was against the royalties. And so I, he, he could have got the same amount with you if he just didn't get the advance. Right, right. I mean, if 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 he had, he just wanted the money up front. He wanted. He needed. The, he needed the money. And, and of course, the sad thing is that within a year or two, he was dead. In a car crash. He, right? Well, he had a heart attack while he was he was he had gone to pick his daughter up at school, and they were driving back, and he had a heart attack at the wheel. So she found Zebald, Bolano, Roberto Bolano, mm -hmm. saying, and uh, you know this, uh, I think that was Francisco Goldman who told her, you got to check this guy out. Check yeah. this guy out. So and she was doing the... She the was doing... Back. I was doing Deceased Giants, and this. And then this began, she came in the in mid-80s, so that by around 90 or whatever, she was, we, you know, she had brought home a couple of things, and we're, and, I, and I'm saying, give this kid her head, you know, mm. because she's, and, and, and she's still, I mean, and New Directions today is doing very well, thank you. What does very well mean? There for a long time, we you know we we, we were we were kind of breaking even, and and that was JL's model. JL was very happy if if New Directions could simply break even, and any usually any profit was plowed back into the company. He mm. never took a salary from New Directions ever, mm. and you know and it was given back in bonuses. It's almost like a nonprofit, isn't it? It was. It's it's at, basically it's it's run pretty much like a nonprofit. Yeah. Well, when you consider poetry, yeah. You can't really make a profit with poetry, or it's bloody hard. No, it's very, very, it's very, very hard. Where was I? He he didn't take a salary. He didn't take a salary, but anyhow, so that oh, that they're doing very well. Barbara has done some. I mean, they've done some interesting things. Yeah, let's get into a few of the books. Well, this is this is post my time. Okay. Well, I, we, we have. He's still proud of it, though. I I'm can very, see. very proud of it. At JL's death. I was one of the, I'm one of the trustees of the three, he set up three trusts under his will, one of which owns New Directions and one of which paid for his own books to be published, like his collected poems and the various other, there were several other projects that were in He, he wanted you to do the Tennessee Although he, he had struck it, he was, he, he was so smart, he struck a deal with Norton. Norton published this. That's not New Directions. Norton okay. publishes the, the. He just wanted to make sure it was brought out. He wanted out. to make sure it was done, and he made a deal with them that they would that they would uh, bring these out. And so this is, I think, the the ninth of 
Oh there are eight others, you know. Eight other letters? The eight other volumes of letters. One with, you know, Lachlan and Pound, Lachlan and Williams, oh, Lachlan oh, and Rexford, okay. Lachlan and Henry Miller. Okay, and this is the and this is the last. It's only taken me 25 years since you folks <laughs> asked me, but that, okay. well, that's okay. Still, you, you must feel good about oh, delivering on your exactly. promise. Exactly. No, no, I, I do. Yeah. But, but Barbara's very canny about, well, what can we do things to make money? So this yeah. is a co-production between New Directions and a woman named Christine Bergen, this okay. Emily Dickinson, The Gorgeous Nothings. Mm. And it's a coffee table book. And it's about all of the little scraps of poetry that Emily Dickson, Dickinson wrote on the backs of envelopes. Put in her, her drawer. Put it in her drawer. And it's a one, and it's sold like hotcakes. Isn't that great? They're transcribed, and there's an interview. Oh, there, there's, you know, yeah, there's, okay. there's apparatus that explains what they are. And well, I like the way that you've got them transcribed. You've got the little image. Here's the yeah. little envelope. So yeah. you've got the image of the real thing. And, and this Chris, Christine Bergen has an art gallery, and so she takes care of the production, of, of, which is of a kind that New Directions <laughs> doesn't usually do, this kind of art book. And, Isn't that great? And so there have been, there have been a few of those. Hmm. What, what are you proudest of under your... Tour of duty. Okay, so what my are you proudest of? okay, so so I, I did work with Tennessee Williams during his lifetime on you know the the last few plays that he published while he was alive, and then when he died, I said to myself, the scariest decade for a writer in terms of their long term uh, reputation is the decade after they die, because if if everything just goes out of print and they're forgotten, then they can be dead forever. Unless some good fairy godmother like New Directions comes along and And do what they did with... uh... Oh, so we started out with the collected stories. Okay, now this was, what, shortly after he died? This is shortly after he died. Tennessee Williams' uh, collected stories. And we took... New Directions had published several volumes of his short stories, Mm-hmm. But there were lots that weren't, so I went through all of those and put them together. And you will <laughs> notice that this has an introduction by Gore Vidal. Sure, I know Gore Vidal, right? But the Lady Maria Saint Just, the one who almost married James Lachlan, became the executor of Tennessee Williams' estate okay. when he died. He had named her in his will. He named her principally because he wanted somebody he could really, really trust to take care of his sister Rose, who the one who was the model for Laura of the Glass Menagerie, who was in an institution in Ossining, New York. And he wanted somebody, and uh, Maria, that kind of thing, she could be a lot of things. And uh, Maria has certainly has her detractors in the world of Tennessee. But taking care of Rose, she did very, very well. But anyhow, so where I'm putting this book together, and I say, and she happened to be in New York. She came in the office, and and I'm saying, well, you know, Maria, what we really need for this book is somebody to do a really bang up introduction. And I just, she says, Gore, Gore must do it. And I finally figured out this was she was talking about Gore Vidal. And I said, well, uh, do you know how to get in contact with him? And she says, we'll call him. So she, we go into my office, you know, she rings up Gore in Rome and basically says, Gore, you will write this introduction. And he says, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
that his only stipulation was that he be allowed to publish it in something like the New York Review of Books, which he did, which gave so him a lot. So he get paid for it. So, so he plus, was, yeah. Well, I mean, he got paid for it by plus, our state. Plus it promoted, promoted it. It promoted the book. I mean, yeah. he got paid for, for New Directions. I, I don't know. He got several thousand dollars, uh, which for New Direction was pretty big bucks in those days. But yes, he wanted he wanted. But uh, yes, but that really, it really made the book. But mm. you notice that it's an introduction by Gore Vidal, but yeah. there's no editor at all. Because I put the whole book together, but it was it was considered not the done thing for an in-house editor to put their name on a on a new direction on a book. It's a bummer. That was a bummer, I mean, you know. But I mean, we had our standards. We didn't. And, and those, I think, they've changed the policy. But so I started going through my drawer and and getting early plays, plays that he wrote when he was a student before he even became Tennessee, when he was still Thomas Lanier Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the University of Iowa, or for the Mummers in St. Louis. And this was, I think, the first one of that. I called them apprentice plays. Oh, Vanessa Redgrave forward. That, mm-hmm. That's another pal of Maria's, you know. So we did those early plays. We did a book of, we did a book of screenplays. You know, it went into a second printing. I yeah. See. Oh, you no, know, these things, the, you know, the thing about New Directions is these things stay in print. I mean, we keep them in, and, and we keep, you keep them, them in print. We yeah. keep them in print. Yeah. So Tennessee Williams is a big part of your uh, he's professional a big, life. He's a big part of professional life. And also, uh, I would have to say he's a big part of New Directions finances because he's far, far and away the best-selling New Directions author. Right now? Right now. Because of all the because, classes because that are... Because of cl- classroom adoptions. So was Lachlan involved in getting the universities to use uh, New Directions texts? Well, if you have the only te- if you have the only text, yeah, that helps. And and uh, there was was a certain period when we when we leased the rights for mass market, uh, you know, to like uh, New American Library or whatever. But at, at around this time, we decided that we would bring them back, uh, and and that has proved to be very beneficial uh, in terms of just the you make more money if you if you have the only the only book. So the, there was a the whole Tennessee Williams program and then mm-hmm. I would do things like what do you mean I would do when I, you, I mean I would I would initiate a project and get the scholar this is um, two very well-known scholars Walton Litz and Christopher McGowan who's probably the dean of American William Carlos Williams scholars right now the collected poems and they did uh, the collected poems and they did volumes one volume and then Chris did the volume two and vol- and Patterson by himself but in other words taking old New Directions titles and redoing it in a proper scholarly edition with, well, with you know, variants, and... And variants and footnotes and, you know, just the, the, the needed scholarly apparatus. And we did, uh, <laughs> you know, like an uh, HD, we, we started out with doing a collected poems. So you're kind of re- not repurposing, but you're but pack- repackaging? Re- repackaging, redoing, and then publishing a lot of like HD that hadn't been done for 30 or 40 years. This is one of the last things, facsimile edition. This is offset from the original edition of Spring and All, which is one of the early, very early William Carlos Williams. So it's not that expensive for you to produce then? No, I mean it was all. It was we took a, a the New York Public Library has a, a rare edition, a rare copy of that original 
small booklet that he did, mm -hmm. and we were able to offset from them. And so we do things like that. But then, as I took over as president and publisher, I turned most of the Tennessee Williams over to the young man who was who I brought on to help with Tennessee Williams stuff in the late 80s, Thomas Keith. You know, he started helping me prepare different texts for publication. But then he he did he's done about four volumes of these unpublished one-act plays, or short mm. plays. Some of mm -hmm. them are, are not purely one-act. So again, a, a big market would be the education market. Edu education market, but also, you know, part of New Direction's mission that, that Jay very much started was when you, ha when you have an author, you do all of that author, and in, particularly yeah. with yeah. Tennessee. You really commit yourself you commit to your, and so yeah. and, and, and in the, in the, the book of letters, there's a lot about, you know, they're talking about plays and, and uh, you know, and publishing Streetcar and publishing Cat and this and that and Rose uh, Tattoo. There's a wonderful letter about the Rose Tattoo. But also he's encouraging Tennessee as a poet because he really did love his poetry and he's encouraging him as a story writer, you know. Did you ever get uh, Glass Menagerie back from, it was Bennett Cerf? That... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, what what happened was, of course, you know. They, so they insisted that, that Bennett's Bennett Surf had given Tennessee a hundred dollars for an option on his next full length work before he had even written a full length work, and so he let several projects like the failed Battle of Angels go by. But then when Glass Menagerie was a hit, he said, Ah. I get that. And Jay in Tennessee had been making plans for the New Directions edition, and Jay was very hurt, but he realized it wasn't Tennessee's doing. And so, of course, Random House published it, had it for about a year or so, and then, of course, they let it go out of print because plays notoriously, you know, after the play is off-Broadway, then they, and unless they become part of the canon, they just die as, mm. as, as published books. And mm. so then immediately, and it was part of that, uh, it, it became one of those new classics, which was the same series that Jay had that reintroduced The Great Gatsby. So it was part of that. I, I know that you are really interested in book design and everything, and a great number of the Tennessee Williams plays had Alvin Lustig covers. And there's a lot in the in the uh, luck of friendship about uh, uh, the covers and about lustig and about you know talking about this and that and and, and uh, the appearance of the books. And... Speaking of design, before I forget, can you tell me a bit about the logo, the New Directions logo? Ah. Do you know anything about it? Oh yes, the colophon is mm. uh, a man on a, a man kneeling next to a horse. Jay called it the centaur. It is not a centaur. You can see the horse's head, you can see the man's head. It is not a centaur, but he always called it the centaur. And I once said, but it's not a centaur, Jay. And he says, it is if I want it to be. Thank you very much. But anyhow, that came from a drawing that Jay was given by Ezra Pound. The artist Heinz Hengus was a Jewish artist, wandered into Rapallo, it, where Pound was then living in Italy, and, of course, Pound Star is supposed to be an anti-Semitic. Anti oh, yeah, right. Starving. Pound befriended him. 
found, you know, he was an artist, found him a place to sleep, got him a piece of marble, and because he was a sculptor, basically, and he did something, and the wife that had a Fiat bought this piece of sculpture, and then... Fiat, the car manufacturer? Yeah, and then, this, then he was off and running. But anyhow, Pound gave the sketch to Jay, and Jay liked it so much that he used it as the colophon. Very good. That's a nice bit of a backstory there. Yes. So what, uh, what do you think your legacy from being with the company is? Well, I think that I was a steadying hand. In the uh, storm at sea. In the storm at sea. Uh, because um, you, I'm, I'm referencing a, a, a note that Jay gave to you. Uh, I certainly, I think Barbara, who's now the head, is a much better at certainly at finding new authors, and she has certainly, she's out there, you know, like seven nights a week, meeting authors and talking to people and flying all over the globe, you know, doing things to promoting and. And I could never compete with her in that. But I kind of did a different half, you know, of, of making sure that the, the, the business side mm -hmm. was sound. I was going to say, it sounds like Jay, Jay's uh, uh, interest in women. He, he wants the excitement, but he also wants someone to organize. <laughs> right. So you've covered, uh, covered yeah. it off there. Yeah. He sent to me, well, this is one of his little pieces of Norfolk confetti. You can see what Norfolk confetti actually looked like. <laughs> uh, it's about a, what, a three by four? Yeah, post, sort of postcard, postcard size. Postcard, yeah. And he uh, says, Peggy, I hope you're as happy with G's, that's Griselda uh, Onesian, who was then the vice president, plan as I am. With you at the helm, I'll not be afraid of shipwreck. And then he ends with a... Uh, a quote in Italian from the poet Leopardi, which I had Jay's son-in-law, who was an Italian scholar, translate for me, translates, and to sink, brackets, be shipwrecked in this sea is sweet. And, you framed that. I, after he died, I, I, I framed that and put it up on my, my wall because I, I felt that that was kind of his, his mandate to me, that he, he felt that I could keep things on an even keel mm -hmm. and get them through, and Difficult and I and I think you know because during that period we uh, University of the South, which has inherited the um, copyrights of Tennessee Williams, and that went into effect when his sister Rose died, and then at a certain point, through the arcane workings of the U.S. copyright law, which I will not go into. The, an author does have a certain rights to renegotiate contracts. And there was a certain faction at the university that wanted to, to split up the rights and give the more lucrative paperback rights to, you know, a random house or a this or, you know, or a penguin or something. What enabled us to do this expansive program of publishing early plays and unpublished one acts and this and that and the other thing was that the earnings from Tennessee's own work subsidize these others that are at best break-even 
propositions. And they, they said, well, you can continue to do the other things and the heart. And we said, no, no, that's not how it works. But there were some hard-headed business types. And finally, Barbara and I sat down with the then chancellor of the university and, you know, tried to explain to him the relationship between, and that Tennessee always wanted he was loyal to James, right? And he, he said very early on, and I always want my shy intrusions into the world of literature to be with New Directions, which is, this, I think, a very sweet, very Tennessee yes, phrase. Very genteel. Uh, very genteel. And we, we made at least enough of an impression that he went back and talked to some of the literary people. And a guy at the university named Wyatt Prunty, who had been running the... Sewanee Writers Conference, which they started down there with when they started to get the first Tennessee money. Tennessee's express wish was that it be used to promote creative writing. And so they started the Sewanee Writers Conference to which they give scholarships, you know, so that they're using his money to to help young writers. Prati convinced the chancellor he says, what you need to sort this out is a really good literary agent. And Georges Borchard... Originally French. Yes. He's been a New York literary agent for years and years and years and extremely highly respected. I had gone down to talk about Tennessee at the Writers' Conference, and he he goes down every summer and talks about agents and what agents do, etc. And so... Pronti suggested that Borchard, and they talked to Borchard, and he says, you know, if you split these up, the rights up, New Directions is no longer going to have the money to do all these things and yeah. publish these things. To offset the cost. To offset stuff, the cost, yeah. and plus which the publisher who takes on isn't isn't going to do any of those. No, they just want the money. They just want the money. So we had to pony up a lot of money, and I was I was able to put that deal together with Borchard, figure out a way that New Directions could pay out a big advance, but again, it's an advance. We knew we were going to get the money all back because Tennessee was going to earn it, you know, because that's one you could count on to keep bringing in the money. So it was just a matter of structure. Because they'd be buying so many of the yeah, books. Yeah, right, right, because, and, and that we knew from what we got from Tennessee Williams that it was just a matter of structuring it in a time so that money coming in here would pay the, you know, so that you, you made a ladder to yeah. to to work it out. So that that was the kind of thing that I provided a bridge. And now the company is uh, And now what? they're doing extremely well. This is just uh, at the last board meeting we got this look how many pages that is. This is what the publicity out I mean this is prizes that authors have won and big mm-hmm. reviews and everything. And for a little company like New Directions that's pretty impressive. Wow, yeah. Goes on forever. Yeah. Mm. And so they've really, they've really gotten some good young. There are two young women who do the publicity. Yeah. As I say, they have, they're kind of split between people who've been there a long time and people, and they have some new young people who are just doing really, really well. Be, between these things, like the 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 art book kind of things and repackaging, so, 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 Furling Getty's greatest hits. Isn't yeah. that, uh, it just sounds very smart what they're doing. Yes. 
Now they're still independent, right? They're still independent. That's, been, that's and, the best part. And intending to remain so. Thank you very much. Let's they're just, doing Indonesian writers and Japanese and, oh, a lot of Spaniards. Hector Villamatos, Cesar Ira from Argentina, some wonderful new poets. Then just finally, if you could talk about how you feel about James Lachlan and what impact he had on your life. Well, James Lachlan, first of all, in terms of the impact on me, he gave me a career that I never dreamed I would have. I mean, I grew up in a rural town in Pennsylvania. I don't don't think when I was in high school, I was madly in love with literature, but I thought basically the only way you could do anything was to teach, you know, and I didn't want to teach high school, so I was going to, so then when I got to college, well, I can be a college teacher, and that can be, and then I didn't even know you could have a career in publishing. And so when this serendipitously, a whole new world of, of a way to interact with literature that I, that, you know, met and exceeded all of my dreams of the, an impact that I could have on literature. This is, this is one of my happiest memories, do, doing a deal in literature. In the early 80s, I went, a friend and I went to China you know, when China was just opening up and we decided the two of us were, were going to have a, a, a girlfriend. I was between marriages. Have a great adventure. And because of that trip, I started getting interested in, in Chinese, you know, literature who was writing. And I heard about the poet Bei Dao. And he was just somebody's on my radar screen and I started to hear a little bit more about him. And then, and this is, oh, something like 80, 88 maybe. And Elliot Weinberger, who's, uh, he's an essayist at New Directions, has published, he translated Octavio Paz, but he's also a wonderful essayist. But he's also, he knows a lot of literary contacts. Mm. And he had come across this young man, David Hinton, who was translating ancient Chinese poetry. And it had been sitting in the then editor in chief's office and and had been sitting there and he called me up and he said Peggy I really want this to be looked at you know and I know and I don't want him to wait in turn you know and I think you'll like it or whatever so I read the uh, uh, these translations of Du Fu ancient Chinese poet and I I was really bowled over I thought they were terrific then a guy I had been corresponding with in England, Peter Jay, the An- ran the Anvil Press, Anvil Press Poetry. They published almost exclusively poetry in the UK. And we've been corresponding. And one of the things is he was going to publish Beidou's poetry, a, a selection called The August Sleepwalker. And he was coming to the States. And I said, I really, really want to read this selection of Beidou's that you're doing. And he got here. And I had just finished reading the Hinton. And he came into the office and he said, well, here's the Beidou. Okay. I said, I really want you to look at this because I know you are interested in Chinese poetry. This is ancient Chinese poetry, but this is really a new take on the way to translate it. And he says, okay, I'll take it home and read it overnight. If you'll read that overnight. We both took them home. We read them overnight. We came back and we says, I'll take yours if you'll take mine. And so that was one of my happiest deals. And so we we did about seven or eight of these ancient Chinese poetries. And just a year or so ago, 
Hinton was awarded the Thornton Wilder Translation Prize for Lifetime Achievement for, by the American Academy of Arts and Letters for his, uh, his translation from the Chinese. And of course, Bei Dao is kind of the premier dissident poet of China, and we've published oh, five or six poetry books, and, and this is a new memoir that has just come out this past year. Just to say that that was the career that James Lachlan gave me. James Lachlan, as I said, he seduced you into carrying on to his mission. That man broke my heart every day because I thought he was, he was so sweet and so encouraging to me and to, and to his authors. And he wrote all these wonderful letters encouraging people. And if you see, if you read the, the uh, letters volume, his encouragement of Tennessee over the years is just, he was Tennessee's lifeline time and time mm. again. Mm. But Jay was just the unhappiest man I have ever known. He was after this elusive something that he couldn't quite grasp. He and in, you know, with regards to the the women in his life, Jack Hawks was a uh, John Hawks was a New Directions novelist, and John was married to Sophie, and John and Sophie were absolutely devoted to each other. And given John's lurid novels, this seems counterintuitive, but they were. And I don't and I don't think that he ever fooled around with anybody. And Jay just once talked to me so longingly about wanting to have the kind of relationship that John and Sophie had. And he just seemed to split. You were either a very, you know, a competent whatever or or you were some kind of he called them absaras, these Hindu demigoddesses who float muse like in front of you. But he could never get that Together. combination. Yeah. And he longed to write wonderful poetry. He felt he had to substitute publishing because he could never measure up to all these other people. So that his own harsh harshest critic. He was his own harshest critic yeah. and, and, and and as I say, he did so much for so many people. Things that you don't know. Uh, Kenneth Rexroth was very, very ill the last 10 years of his life. Didn't want to go to the hospital or in home. Jay paid for his medical expenses so that he could stay at home. You know, and this was not New Directions paying for it. This was mm -hmm. just Jay as an individual. Mm -hmm. And I I think that there were lots more things like of that kind of thing that I don't know about. And, you know, and his... The, the problems with his, you know, his sons and the, and the bipolar and, and just all of these things. He did valiantly keep at it and kept working and was writing in the last uh, decade of his life. He published something like five or six books of poetry. Like he, he couldn't get it out fast enough and he wanted to get it. He, there was something he wanted to say. You know, he's not one of the great poets. Certainly one of the great publishers. But. One of the great publishers. He's definitely one of the... He's mm. right up there, very near the top of great publishers. But if you take out... I, I st I've told them at New Directions that they should get somebody who really understands his poetry to make a selection of about 100 pages or so because his best poems do stand up to anybody's. They are really very, very fine. He was rich. He was movie star handsome when he was young. He was a very good poet and, and writer in general. 
And then he was a publisher with all of this great outreach. And he was a skiing impresario. He's, you know, at the, at the Alta Ski out in Utah. Yeah. And I think people, there are two things that their the responses are they can't allow him to be that good in that many fields. Or they think, well, he's spread himself too thin. He's a dilettante, you know, and they don't realize the impact he has had on literature. And I and I hope that that with uh, my husband Ian McNiven's bi- biography, literature is my beat. That's Jay using Poundian locution. She He'll deserves, get the attention yeah. because he is that well kept secret, and and he shouldn't be. And he sh- the people should realize the tremendous effect he has had, and. Uh, when he died, I had four different women calling me who were still in love with him and had not a bad word to say about him. And he he did have this incredible effect on people, and you wanted somehow to make it better, and you knew you couldn't. But he's um, he is a giant of a publisher, and I'll always be grateful that I, I wandered into new directions that day and... and he has given me so much. Well, I'm grateful that you've taken the time to talk to me about your experience. Well, and about my your pleasure. Experience. This is kind of a, a, a lucky accident. So I'm also pleased to see that you have found the happiness that Lachlan may not have found with, uh, with Ian. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's a, that was another happy, happy accident of fate when our former much-loved spouses died within a year of each other. We got together, and uh, it was funny because years before that, I had gotten Ian when the New Directions trustees were meeting, and one of the things that Lachlan wanted done in his will was that he wanted a history of New Directions, and he always said, well, I want a history, but leave me out of it. I mean, really, now come on, Jay. So we said, what is really needed is a good biography by a good biographer, that will incorporate the history of New Directions. And I said, you know, my friend Ian McNiven, whom I'd known that by that time for 20 years, biography of Lawrence Durrell has just been published and it was named a notable New York Times Notable Book of the Year and, and all of that. And I gave it to Lachlan's daughter to read. And I said, uh, you know, Durrell had multiple women in his life and various things, and, and, and but it's all handled with tact, you know, it's not, he's not sugarcoating or denying, mm-hmm. but it is, it's, it's not sensational. She read it and she said, oh, he writes so well and you're right. And we, we don't want, we the family don't, we're, we don't want anything left out, but we do want, you know, it to be handled. Tastefully. Tastefully, with respect, you know, and. Ian was, at that point, never going to write another biography because they're all, they are all, indeed all-consuming. Yes, yeah. But uh, he, de- he decided the cast of characters was just too inviting, and so he started, and then... Well, it's a great book, too, yeah. it's a, especially if you're a bibliophile. It's a, it's a, it's a great read. Yes, yeah. and tell people that. Uh, well, just have, but we'll continue to, and I'll also tell people that... Uh, you are the editor, along with Thomas Keith, of the Luck yes. of Friendship, the Letters and, of and Tennessee Williams. Yes, and, and Thomas and, and really, it was, a, it was a total joint effort on that. We labored on that for many years, but it, it was a real total collaboration. And Great. It was published by Norton. Published by Norton. Thanks again. Thank you.